You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. If you've ever been in the hospital for a, an overnight stay, or you've had to stay in the hospital with a sick child, then you're probably familiar with the experience of having people come into your hospital room to see you. And it is often the case that we'll have friends that will come in and they will try to offer us words of consolation or words of comfort. And they, they, they do it in a good-natured way. They mean well, and they'll say something like, everything's going to be all right. You're going to be out of here in no time. And though they mean well, though they intend to make you feel better, it oftentimes does not really help you in the moment. And here's why. Despite their intentions, despite their love for you, you know that their words that they speak have no power to actually affect the reality that they're wishing for you. Those words don't really take away the anxieties or the fears that you're experiencing in that stay because they don't really know what's going on. (laughs) They walk into that room and speak with no authority into that situation. But it's very different when the doctor comes walking into that hospital room. When the doctor walks into your room and says, everything's all right, you're going to be fine, I'm releasing you, their words land with power because he actually has the authority or she actually has the authority to affect your release. They speak those same words as your visitors did, but with an altogether different kind of authority. You see, the doctor has brought their qualifications to bear on your situation. They have tested the blood work. They know that the vital signs are strong, and they know that nothing stands in the way of your release, so they sign the paperwork. But the question is, where do we go? How do we handle it? Who is there to speak authoritatively in your life when you have scares of a different kind? When you're afraid of running out of material resources, when you're afraid of not having enough, when you're afraid of your own corruptions or failures, when you're afraid of your own helplessness and lack of control, when you're afraid of having no support, when you're afraid of missing out, and ultimately when you face the fears of the grave and loss. The followers of Jesus in our text had a scare. They had a scare. Their hearts were broken, their dreams were crushed, and their dear friend and leader was unjustly executed by the state. And he was put to public shame at that. In our text for today, we find these disciples hiding in a room together, and they're terrified. They're afraid. They're confused. They don't know about their safety. They're confused about life. They're uncertain about their future. 
Some of their friends came by the room that they were staying in to tell them that things were going to be all right. But it didn't quite do it for them. Some of those friends showed up to try and take away the anxiety and the fear. But those friends could not speak with authority to affect the reality. But in our passage, when the resurrected Jesus appears in that room, we see that their scare, their fears and anxieties melt like wax in front of a hot fire when the Lord shows up and he speaks peace. Because when he speaks peace, he speaks it with authority. He speaks it as one who can affect the very outcome that he longs to see. So today we're going to consider the relationship between the resurrection and peace. And what I want you to see today is this. You can rest in peace because Jesus rose in power. You can rest in peace because Jesus rose in power. And what I want you to do throughout this sermon is I want you to get fixed in your mind. Whatever those things are that are disturbing your peace right now. We have some friends in here who have to raise money to do their ministry. I want you to bring your fears and anxieties to the front of mind as we work through this today. We have folks who are not sure what your health outcomes are going to be like when you get your next results. But I want you to bring that reality in front of mind today as we hear the word preached. Because this stuff is not just religious speak that is irrelevant to our lives. This is the stuff that makes life worth living. That gives us endurance. That gives us perseverance. That gives us strength and perspective. We need to see our trials and our troubles in light of the resurrected Christ speaking peace over you. So today, that's the one point I want to drive. You can rest in peace because Jesus rose in power. At dawn on the Sunday after Jesus died, several women went to visit the tomb and came running back to the rest of the disciples with this astonishing report that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was risen. And when these women brought the message back to the 11 disciples, they dismissed the sisters, which is a problem that persists to this day. The dismissing of our sisters and their ministry in the body. This is not a new problem. It's an old problem. But they dismissed these sisters. And the text tells us that they thought these women to be Speaking idle tales. Idle tales. It was a fairy tale to them. And two of them decided to leave. For these followers of Jesus, their lives were now in chaos. And oftentimes we find ourselves in that same place. Many of us would love to get our hands on some peace. By any means possible. It is one of the things that we are most determined to get our hands on in this world. And many of our actions and behaviors and patterns and habits in life are really 
a search for peace, a search for wholeness, a search for relief. We are looking for peace. Americans spend millions, billions of dollars every year on insurance for their possessions, just in case an accident happens or something like that. They, these insurance companies frame up their advertising as this is the way you get peace of mind. We are looking for peace. Americans spend billions of dollars every year on vacations in an effort to get away from it all. The proposal is that if you can just get that vacation, you will have some peace. We're looking for peace. Some pay for organic food and gym memberships to avoid diseases and ensure good health. We are looking for peace. Some meditate to try and empty their minds of the anxieties and the fears. We are looking for peace. We send soldiers to war for peace. We send children to bed for peace. And we hope that when they wake up in the morning, things will be different. <laughs> we see this in our culture. We see this in our own lives anecdotally. We are looking for peace. But in Luke chapter 24, in this text that is before us, we see that peace is not something that you go find. Peace is someone who comes to find you. That's what the Apostle Paul said in chapter 2, verse 14, that Christ is himself our peace. Peace is not a particular state of affairs necessarily. It is union and communion with a particular person, and his name is Jesus. True peace doesn't come from all state. It comes from the Almighty. True peace isn't found on a mountain retreat unless that mountain is called Calvary. True peace isn't gained by eating organic food and working out, but from the bread of heaven and the work of Christ. True peace doesn't come from emptying your mind in meditation, but by filling your mind with an empty tomb. Because Christ was sent to war with sin, death, and the devil, we have peace. Because the Father sent his Son to sleep in death, and to rise in resurrection, things are different in fact. Peace isn't something you have to go and find, friends. Peace isn't a series of circumstances that you can manipulate and control and lay hold of with your resources. Peace is something that slips in and finds you. Peace is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus. And that's why we make a big deal of him. That's why we make ex exclusive truth claims about him. Because there is no other name under heaven by which we can be rescued, by which we can enjoy flourishing, by which we can have peace with God and with one another than that name, Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, when you look at the text, take a look at verse 36. Verse 36 finds the disciples just before Jesus appears to them. They are discussing these reports of Jesus' empty tomb and his alleged appearance to some. Do you see it? As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Now, 
we are given the sense, we're giving the impression in this text that this was not just a shooting the breeze kind of conversation. This was a heated, emotionally charged back and forth that these disciples are having in this room. They're confronted by the possibility of resurrection. Now, the women come back. They tell their report. And then this back and forth starts. I want you to think about it. Imagine the disciples in the room. What? Are you crazy? People don't rise from the dead? Yeah, that's right. You saw what the Romans did to him. You know how they got him. Right? Like, this is not possible. Why are you, why are you getting our hopes up like this? Like, what are you talking about? This is, yeah, this, is, this is what's going on. They're having this heated back and forth. And then Jesus appears in the room. Now, modern people often assume that the ancients were more likely to believe that people could rise from the dead or more gullible or more superstitious. This was not the case. And all the evidence in the text shows you that they were not expecting this. They were not expecting this. As they were talking about these things, Jesus appears to them and he says to them, peace to you. Now, I want to mention a few things about our text. I'm not going to hold you long this morning. First, notice that Jesus... <laughs> you all know you ain't right. Watch, I'm going to prove it to you. Just, you know, let's pray. Amen. No, like, um, I can tell y'all know me, but for real. Uh, <laughs> I want us to notice a few things about this text. First, notice that Jesus comes to find his people in their hiding place. Because ever since Genesis 3, what does sin make us do? We experience the fallen impulse to hide. Where, where was the first encounter after the fall? Adam and Eve, covered with fig leaves, hiding from the God who sees everything. And the, the, the rest of the story of Scripture shows us human beings running from and hiding from God. And God lovingly pursuing them to bring them back to life. And that has not changed. Jesus is still the, the great initiator. He's the one searching you out. And oftentimes our, our lack of peace is, is, is really deeply connected to a lack of communion. Because we have peace in our midst, in the presence of Christ by the Spirit. But he comes to find us in our hiding place. I love this, this image, y'all. And a lot of times when you're reading a narrative, you just got to get up to the 30,000-foot view and say, what is the big picture structure of what's happening here? Jesus, they're hiding. Jesus comes to find them in their hiding place. And by the time Jesus gets done with them, they come out of their hiding place. You know, uh, the poet of the Harlem Renaissance, Zora Neale Hurston, has this remarkable quote where she says, Love makes the soul crawl out from its hiding place. And that's exactly what the love of Christ and the peace of Christ does for these disciples in this passage. And I want to tell you that Christ sees you in your hiding. And you know what he would say to you? You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide because, one, I know it all already. I already know what's going on. But, second, you don't have to hide because I'm the God who wants to heal what's wrong rather than to blast you. That's what he's like. That's his character. You see the tenderness of Jesus? This is incredible. Remember the last time that Jesus saw them. 
the last time Jesus saw them, they were hightailing it away from him while he was being captured. And one of them disciples was running off butt naked away from Jesus. That fool was so hyped to get away, to, to preserve himself, to abandon Jesus. They ripped that brother's clothes off and he was streaking. Now, let me ask you this. If you showed up in a group of people who the last time you saw them, they were supposed to be your friends. They were supposed to be devoted to you. They were supposed to love you. If you showed up in the midst of a group of people who the last time you saw them, they were abandoning you to a, a torturous, painful, excruciating death, what would be the first thing you'd show up and say in that room? It wouldn't be peace. You'd be like, I'd have come through that room like, aha, suckers, now what? Bring yourself here. Peter, come here. Come, come. Right? I, I, you just can imagine all the different ways. Because the disciples are terrified. Do you see the text? The text tells us when they see Jesus show up in the room, they think he's a ghost. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. If something came through that wall right now, I'd be out that door right there. I would be going through the wall, right? They see Jesus come through the wall, and the text tells us that they are terrified. Is this ghost coming back for revenge? No, it's Jesus coming back for redemption. He doesn't come back to give them punishment. He comes back to give them peace. Shalom. Shalom. That was the standard greeting among the Jewish people at the time. That's how you said hello. It was a, a well-wishing for wholeness and flourishing over a person's life. And it just became the standard like, hi, you know? Well, on the day that they <laughs> experienced this scene here, there were many people that passed into that room and, and said shalom, said peace. Their friends had come into their room to utter a defeated and exhausted shalom. Their friends spoke peace, but their words had no power to affect that peace. However, those same words of peace are spoken by Jesus, but with an altogether different kind of authority. You see, the doctor, the great physician, enters into the room of his patients, if you will. And he brings his qualifications to bear on their situation. Jesus has tested the blood work and he knows that the blood works. Jesus shows them that his vital signs are strong. Jesus knows that there's nothing that stands in the way of their release from fear and their release from shame and their release from sin and their release from death itself. And he signed the paperwork of the eternal covenant with his own blood. And now his word of peace lands with power on his disciples. His word brings relief and inexpressible joy. When Jesus speaks peace to you, he speaks as the one who has authority to affect that peace. Nobody speaks peace like Jesus because he has risen with all authority in his hands. 
He has all power in his hands. Power over what? That thing I told you to keep in mind when we started the sermon. He has power over that. And he loves you. You have no need to fear. Hear him speaking peace to you this morning. This entire passage is about the empirical proof of the resurrection, the eternal plan of God, and the remarkable peace of God. That's what's in this text. In verses 44 through 49, Jesus tells his disciples that it has always been God's plan to restore peace to his people through the suffering servant. And afterward, to turn his people into servants who are willing to suffer for the peace of the world. I'm often reminded of what God wants from me in the, in the evening times, once we put our kids to bed. Before I go to sleep, I will often walk in their room, and I'll just observe them. And the thought will occur to me that if I, who am evil, want this good gift of rest and peace for my kids, how much does the father want peace and rest for his children? <laughs> Those kids lying peacefully when they're not in my bed, they, that's what God wants for you. That, <clears throat> now, here's the thing. You might counter and say, well, that's nice, Pastor, but my kids don't have any bills. And the risen Christ would say to you, do you have any bills of substance? Nope. The bills came due at Calvary, and I paid it all. And my resurrection is the proof that it's all paid. Well, you might say, yeah, but they don't have any burdens. And Christ would say, I have relieved you of the great burden of sin and the grave. Now, your only burden is to live as someone who knows they are loved. Peace to you. Jesus speaks peace to his people. And because we have this beautiful invitation, the call of the text is to enter in. To enter into it. How do you lay hold of the peace of Christ? I want to give you a few things to think about. You can rest in peace because Jesus rose in power. How does that work out? First thing is, I want you to think of submission. You know, the opposite of submission is resistance. And a lot of times we're fighting God at the very points where he's trying to introduce his peace. He's trying to get you to lay hold of your clutches on controlling the things in your life. Because that's what's really making you anxious. You feel like it's all on you. You feel like if you take your hands off of the wheel that no one's going to be in control of this thing. It's doubting the love of God. It's doubting the goodness of God. Anytime you refuse to submit to God, to give over your life and your will and your dreams and visions and your purpose and your plans, anytime you don't want to give those over to God, you will inherit anxiety. It's just how it goes. Because if it's all up to you, you live under pressure. You live under distress. And you know what? It's no surprise that as we have become more technologically advanced as a society, we have become more anxious. And there are more dollars being spent on trying to help us to get our mental health together. And, and some of it is chemically related. And that, you need to get meds 
to get receive that common grace, okay? But there are other times where we have established patterns of control that lead to anxiety. And we don't know what we we don't know how to, to let go and trust in the Lord. This text is inviting you to have rock solid faith that if you stop trying to control it, you're not going to slip off the radar. It's not going to fall apart. God's going to care for you, and you're going to get peace on top of it, which is beautiful. So submission. Just think about where in your life you are resisting the Lord. Where do you feel like, no, 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 I got that, Jesus. Because here's the thing. You will never have the peace of God if God only has a piece of you. That's the thing. Like, if, if you're only willing to give him this little corner of your life called your spiritual life, but then you are in the driver's seat on your vocational life and your decisions about where you're going to live and how long you're going to do your career and all of these kinds of different things in your life. If you're in control and God's only got a piece of you, you'll never really experience the deep, lasting, resonant peace of God. The peace of God comes. It's free and it invites us. Jesus is inviting us to stop trying to control and to entrust the things in our lives to him. So identify those places. Maybe that's something you do in community and CG this week, conversations that you need to have. Maybe you invite a friend to speak into your life and say, hey, do you see there being any areas of my life where I'm overly stressed or anxious or controlling? And they might say, yeah, money. You say, Dad, bless you. You just had to say that, right? Now, and then engage the conversation. So what does that turn into? Oh, it means that I selfishly hoard. It means that I don't really give like I could. It means that my disposition is always to preserve my resources rather than to be open-handed with them. That's a point of sanctification or personal change, transformation by God's grace that will revolutionize your life. If your relationship to money and possessions is transformed by the peace of Christ, to know that peace is not, your peace does not fluctuate with the numbers in your bank account fluctuating. That's a different way of living, y'all. And this is a place where we say, I believe, help my unbelief, right? So bring that kind of, uh, that submission theme before the Lord and before your community. The second thing I want you to see in this text is an application, and then I'm done. Uh, right? <laughs> um, I've literally not done that since I was probably five years old. Um, <laughs> The second thing I want you to see in this text and to work into your life is I want you to notice that when the disciples encounter Christ raised from the dead, Christ with all authority, when he speaks his peace over their lives, they don't stay in that room and just enjoy that peace together with Jesus and, and just be a, a tight little group and say, it's peace, we got peace, it's nice to have peace in this room, peace, yes. Yeah, no, Jesus sends them out. You see how he leads them out of their hiding places. Now, listen, sometimes we hide because of sin and shame that we're trying to cover. Sometimes we hide through busyness. As long as I'm occupied with this thing over here, I can use that as my excuse to not participate in the work of the kingdom. Or I can use this as my way of, you know, excusing myself from living in the community. Oh, I can use this as an excuse, my busyness as an excuse to not connect with my neighbors, to not invite them into my house, to have them at my table, to take interest with them. No. You see what happens here is the disciples have a completely different relationship to their neighbors as a result of the peace that they receive from Christ. 
and they go out into the city. They go back to Jerusalem with that good news. And, and you know what their testimony is later? We can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They had received peace, and now they were determined to give it away. What I'm saying is this. The second application is that when you receive the peace of Christ, how do you know you're living in the peace of Christ? You're a peacemaker. You're a peacemaker. And I want to tell you this. There's a lot of faux peace going on around the world today. False peace. It's like the prophets when they talk about people saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's not peacekeeping. It's peacemaking. Peacekeeping is trying to avoid conflicts and animosity at all costs, even when there are difficult things that we need to talk about and there's sin that we need to openly and honestly confess, acknowledge, and repair. Yeah. Right? When we have work to do. No, we can still have peace, but peacemaking is bringing the truth, the big truth with a capital T of the, the gospel to bear in situations making our appeal to people to live in light of our shared hope, to live in light of the love we've received, to live in light of the goodness that is ours, to lay down our petty grievances, and to be able to express love across lines of difference, even when those differences are essential to like who we are as people, like cultural differences. It means I'm not going to check out from you because we're different. And when we have conflict, I'm not going to run I'm not going to avoid. I'm going to figure out a way with you to work through this with you so that we can live more fully into the peace of Christ that is ours in the gospel. So search your life and ask about the submission piece. Where do I need to come under the lordship of Christ so that I may experience his peace and freedom from anxiety and stress and strains that I don't need to be carrying? None of us, just to be clear, if you saw your child walking around the house stressed all day, it would concern you. And you would say to them, you don't have to worry. I'm here. I got you. You've said these things to your children. Do you hear Jesus saying it to you? <laughs> he is. Submission and then think about what practices. And when I say practices, I mean specifically neighboring practices. What neighboring practices do you need to pick up? What neighboring practices might you need to put down? It's open for all kinds of kingdom creativity, but this is the kind of stuff that we as a community, if we work through this stuff, we will be more fruitful and more faithful in our service to our place. Jesus rose in power so that you can rest in peace. Peace of Christ be with you. Let's pray. for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.